The following audio is from The Well. We are a church that is committed to gospel growth, family formation, and missional engagement in Hastings, Nebraska. More information about The Well can be found at www.thewellhastings.com. We hope the message you are about to hear will spur you on to growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be formed as a follower of Jesus, and to be engaged in the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost within the yard of hell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you, uh, even if we are um, not necessarily together this morning. Um, coming to you from uh, the comfort of uh, my office here at the church, and uh, uh, definitely no uh, self-promotion here, but uh, yeah, I came in uh, to the church, um, used my office to record this sermon uh, for you guys. want to give a big shout out to Jack, who came down and shoveled off the stoop and the steps up front for me. I shoveled that stupid thing a number of times this week and kept getting a good like five foot snow drift out in front of the door. And, and, uh, so Jack, thank you for graciously coming down and scooping that out. And, um, and also just checking out the church building, making sure it's in one piece and good to go. Um, mother nature or, or father winter seems to have, uh, gotten angry with us and, uh, given us, a um, a ton of snow and uh, some some temperatures that are just uh, um, almost unbearable and so yeah so for for you know just for the safety of uh, uh, for for all of us and health concerns all those things just seem good to uh, cancel our church gathering this morning and just um, for me just to come in and record a sermon for you guys in hopes that it would serve you well as you sit in the comfort of your homes and the warmth of your homes. Hopefully you're comfortable, hopefully you're warm, and uh, hopefully you're spending some time with your families. We're going to be in the book of Acts uh, today as we um, get back into that series. going to be in Acts chapter 18. Um, again, hope that this is uh, beneficial to all of you. It's beneficial to me to do the study this week. I want to read the text for us and then uh, and then we'll dive in. So Acts chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 23. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. Here's the word of God to us. Acts chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. 
And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, which is Corinth, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Seems like the ruler of a synagogue who had gotten saved earlier has two names. He is Sosthenes and he is also Crispus. Okay. They all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At century, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for, from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen. Let me pray. But Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I, I am mindful today that uh, there are no circumstances, never has been a circumstance in all of history that stopped your word from being proclaimed. And so, uh, Lord, I know there are much worse things that have happened in history um, than the current blizzard we are experiencing. And I'm thankful, Father, for the gift of technology, uh, whereby your word can still be proclaimed to us. And so, uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would use um, meditations of my heart and the, the words of my mouth. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a broken, sinful, um, filthy man. And I, you have promised to uh, wash me and wash each of us uh, in the blood of the Lamb, to, to make us white as snow. And so, Father, I pray that you would do just that, using then uh, the, the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, to bring honor and glory to you and to be helpful to your sheep, your people, your blood-bought children. Father, I pray that you come and speak to us today about what it means to be people of grit and grace. I trust you to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. The years ago... Um, Early on in my walk with Jesus, I was a drywaller <laughs> shortly after my motorcycle accident, and uh, uh, so still learning how to walk again. Um, I was just very fresh, baby, just, just a baby in Jesus, and uh, learned to walk again, getting back to, into work, and uh, by God's grace, he gave me uh, the privilege <laughs> to do work for the next few years as a drywaller in a bunch of churches that needed to be remodeled. 
And the crazy thing is, is I did that work in those churches um, overnight rather than during the day just because of all the different activities that were taking place throughout those church buildings. And um, I remember during that time, I listened to a series on the radio, I believe it was the Bot Radio Network, listened to a series by Chuck Swindoll, a really good preacher. Uh, and the, the title of his series uh, was called Paul, a Man of Grace and Grit. Now, I found out later that uh, Swindoll had actually written a book uh, under the same title. I bought it, read it, listened to that series again. And I just remember it being really helpful to me uh, as a young believer. Uh, but even some of those concepts today, haven't read the book, haven't heard the series in a number of years, but even some of those concepts today about this man, the great Apostle Paul, being a man of grace and grit, um, have just been helpful to me as I've sought to follow Jesus and um, preach his word and be about the ministry of the gospel. And um, I've, I've often thought about this concept of the Apostle Paul um, being a man of grace and grit. He definitely had a ton of grit, definitely had a ton of grace, right? Um, Paul had the, the, the grit to endure insurmountable odds. Okay, And he also had the grace to face his worst enemies with a heart that you know, still ached for their eternal salvation. You ever stop and wonder like, where Paul got all this from? Like, where did all of Paul's grit and grace come from? Right? What was it specifically that gave Paul the strength to endure all the opposition that came out. I mean, what was it specifically that gave him the grace to continue loving people even though he was rejected so often? You know, I, I don't know if you ever heard this, but you know, some people will say, and I've probably said it, um, you know, the whole world would be a whole lot easier if there weren't people in it, you know, because um, you know, people are hard. Um, I'm sure you know that. Uh, yeah, Paul... Paul, Paul had grace to continue loving people, even at their worst moments, even as he was being rejected or opposed by them. And I, sometimes I wonder where did he get that grit and that grace, right? I'm sure you can identify with the Apostle Paul a little bit as you think about this week's passage. On, on one hand, um, as he's leaving the city of Athens and settles in the city of Corinth, on one hand, he, he experiences an awesome move of God, right? As many people start coming to the faith through his preaching. Uh, but then on the other hand, he also experiences, I think, the fear and the anxiety that, that I'm, I'm sure any of us would, would feel when a group of people begins to seek your destruction. Um, you might know what this is like, right? Um, to, to see God doing miraculous things in your life, um, and to also experience rejection, maybe even severe persecution from those whom you've tried to love for so long. I mean, maybe you've experienced something like this, right? You, you begin following Jesus. Maybe even after years of following Jesus, you experience this, this powerful move of God in your life, right? He, he sets you free from some kind of sinful pattern. You finally come to a place where you understand his deep love and faithfulness towards you. Or maybe you even experience the joy of seeing a longtime friend begin to follow Jesus too. And then right in the middle of that joy-filled experience, your spouse or your child 
or another longtime friend or a, a family member or coworker maybe decides to oppose you, right? They, they turn on you. They, they betray you. They reject you. They, they deceive you. They turn out to be your enemy, even though you had called them friend, even though you had sought to love them. Experiences like this, I think, can uh, you know, knock the wind out of you, can, can leave you sitting in the corner wondering, like, is this even worth trying to move forward any longer? Uh, I admit I've, I've lost many friends over the years um, in the ministry of the gospel, and each of those times was um, intensely painful. Where do you find the grit that the Apostle Paul, Paul had to continue moving forward? Where, where do you find the grace to face the opposition, undaunted in your resolve to follow Jesus and to make him known? I think the answer to those questions is right at the heart, right at the heart, right at the heart of the text in front of us today. I'm going to look at the story again with you, see if we can kind of see where Paul found his grit and his grace. First chunk of the text uh, we should look at is verses 1 through 4. It's just kind of how it breaks down. When you look at verses 1 through 4, Paul arrives in Corinth. Um, you may remember um, back in chapter 17, uh, the Apostle Paul has just ministered in the city of Athens. And the, the net result of his labor there was that some people mocked his message other people procrastinated and said that they would listen to his message some other time. Some people actually listened to him and began following Jesus. And you can see all that in verses 32 through 34 of chapter 17. The end of that story in Athens, Paul leaves without a bunch of turmoil, uh, which is actually kind of interesting given the amount of times that he was chased out of town, bloody, bruised because of his commitment to the gospel. Gets out of Athens, unbloodied, unbruised. And he arrives in the town of Corinth, right, where, where he plants a church over the next few years. And that's, that's where we get the, the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians from. Years later, he writes back to the Corinthians. Didn't know that there's actually a third book of Corinthians that is referenced that uh, apparently was lost. But that's where Paul uh, uh, winds up in after Athens. He winds up in the, the city of Corinth and... <clears throat> While he's there, he he hooks up with what I would call a power couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, the three of them launch a tent-making business. Probably not. They probably already had the business. Either way, they, they like launch a tent-making business to pay the bills while Paul is preaching the gospel every week in the local synagogue. Now, the Apostle Paul was not a religious charlatan, right? Uh, not one of those charlatans that we see all over our TV screens today. Fake pastors, fake ministers, begging for your money so they can buy a third or fourth jet or put gold-plated toilets in their private restrooms. No, this isn't the Apostle Paul. Paul, Paul was willing to supplement his income with a part-time gig making tents, even though he obviously believed that ministers should make a good wage to preach the gospel. Uh, you can see that in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. And at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul didn't allow a shortage of funding to infringe on his calling to preach the gospel. And the moral of the story here, at this part of the story, is that a shortage of funding or resources 
uh, while being uh, while, while while making it very difficult to do ministry, that shortage of funding or resources should never be an excuse for not doing the ministry of gospel proclamation. We all have a responsibility as believers to proclaim the gospel. Um, a second chunk of the text would be verses five through eleven. And in this chunk of text, you can kind of see that Paul shifts his focus from the Jews to the Gentiles. As Paul is getting busy in the city of Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla making tents, preaching the gospel, his buddies, Silas and Timothy, they show up from Macedonia. And they show up just in time for the Jews to lose their ever-living minds with Paul and they basically turn on him in opposition. Paul's response, I think, is classic, right? He, he responds to their rejection by shaking the dust off his garments, proclaiming his innocence and their upcoming judgment because of their rejection of the gospel. And then he just winds up walking right out the door, plants himself right next door, continues preaching the gospel. Dude's got some moxie, right? Just, yeah. Doesn't run across town, doesn't run to another city, just right next door. And the result of all this, really, um, is that many people begin following Jesus, um, including, according to the text, mention this, right, including the leader of the synagogue that had just rejected the Apostle Paul's message. The synagogue had rejected him, but the leader of that synagogue, the lead pastor, so to speak, began following Jesus. And amidst the hustle and the bustle, um, God shows up one night, calms Paul's fears by instructing him not to be afraid, keep on preaching, trust that God's with him, trust that no one's going to harm him, to believe that tons of fruit are going to result from his ministry. Lots of people who belong to God are going to become believers. Ultimately, this encounter with God gives Paul the resilience to keep on keeping on despite his past experiences, despite his current fears. Once again, the, the net result um, of this chunk of text is another year and a half of fruitful ministry, preaching the gospel, seeing souls saved as they surrender to Jesus. The moral of the story, moral of the story here is that rejection and opposition should never be the reason we stop proclaiming the gospel. Let me say it again. Rejection and opposition should never be the reason we stop proclaiming the gospel. God will reject those who reject the gospel, for we can count on that. But he will also raise up others to hear the gospel, to believe in Jesus, and to begin walking in obedience to God. This is what God has done all throughout the scriptures, right? Third chunk of text. Third, not fourth. Third chunk of text is uh, verses 12 through 23. And in, in this chunk of text, this final chunk of text, uh, we see how the enemy attacks unsuccessfully, right? Attacks from the enemy are inevitable, okay? Uh, I, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has done nothing good for the church at all. Because um, the reality is that as soon as you proclaim the trust in Jesus, the enemy is going to hunt you down night and day. Temptation going to abound for sure from satan condemnation is going to abound for sure from satan from our enemy satan sin and death still alive and well uh, there is a day coming though can't wait for that day 
Long story short, though, um, yeah, the enemy, the enemy will, will oftentimes use other humans as pawns to attack you so that you will falter in your pursuit of Jesus and your mission to make him known. And in Corinth, after Paul and his crew had been there for a few years, they're seeing a lot of fruit from their ministry, the Jews basically rallied against Paul and, and they brought him and some of these new believers in front of the city officials to uh, get the local authorities to make them stop preaching the gospel. And when the city officials refused to hear the case and drove the Jews out of the room, um, they beat the snot out of the leader of the synagogue who had surrendered to Jesus earlier. Um, all while those same city officials were standing there ignoring everything that was happening. But after a few more days, um, Paul leaves Corinth after encouraging the believers. And the story basically ends with him traveling from one place to the other, strengthening the believers who had come to faith previously in the other churches that Paul had planted. And there's also some mention of the city of Ephesus there, um, which he's going to get to here pretty soon. As I said earlier, um, Paul was a man of grace and grit. Right? Uh, he had the moxie to never back down from his assignment to number one, know Jesus, and to number two, make him known. Even though he faced opposition nearly everywhere he went, and eventually he gave his life for the sake of the gospel, he never stopped enduring the opposition, and he never stopped loving the people that God put in his pathway. How did Paul do this? Because I'll tell you what, man, when, when, for me personally, I don't know about you, but and when, when people treat me poorly, treat me wrongly, reject me, whatever it may be, I find it very, very hard to continue loving on those people. I know God says, love your enemies well, but I struggle with that. Maybe I'm alone in this. I doubt it. I'm sure you struggle with this at times too. How did Paul do this though? Where, where did he get the grit? Where did the grit come from? Where, where did he get the grace to love the way he did? Where do you and I turn for strength to endure? Where do we turn? Where where we go for grace to continue loving people well? Right? I think about some of the places we do turn to. Like we, like we sometimes turn to our friends, uh, which isn't always bad. Um, we turn to like self help books. Uh, turn to maybe escape mechanisms that may or may not include some kind of addictions, maybe. Um, we probably sometimes just simply try to pull up our bootstraps, right? In our own strength, I'm just going to gut this out. I'm sure you've noticed, at least I've noticed this, that those, those kinds of strategies usually don't sustain me for very long. And this is why the heart of the text is so important for us today. I think that the heart of the story is found in verses 7 through 11. See, at the center of this story, Paul experiences God's presence in a really profound way when God shows up in the middle of the night and speaks to him. And I'm absolutely convinced that we do not lean into our relationship with God to the extent that we actually hear from him. Think about this. Relationships, um, relationships take time, right? They take effort. They take investment. 
and in a relationship with an invisible God that requires much time spent reading his word, seeking his presence in prayer and silence and solitude, that oftentimes seems to be too much to ask of believers in a culture, especially that is constantly wired into visually stimulating media. But think about this. How often, how often do you think you've missed out on hearing a word from God because you've not spent the time necessary to actually hear from him? Could it be? I mean, I, and to me, this is convicting for me. Like, could it be that maybe you and I struggle with possessing the grit and the grace to, to, to both endure and to love others well because we've not heard the voice of God in so long? The Apostle Paul seems to be a man who sought the presence of God often, especially in the darkest of times. Like, how else could he know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was the only one who stood with him during his trials in Rome, according to 2 Timothy 4. How could he know that? Once he spent time with God. See, verses 7 through 11 of our text today seem to confirm to me that, that Paul was in the regular habit of seeking God and hearing from him. And then once he heard from God, he was, he was filled with the grit to endure and filled with the grace to keep on loving others well. So what do you see in verses 7 through 11 of our text when you look at it? What do you see? Seems to me that ministry was going really good at this point in the story. The, the Jews had rejected the message of the gospel. And so Paul had shaken the dust off his feet at them and set up next door where a whole bunch of people were responding positively to the gospel. And I'm certain that these events definitely caused much joy for the Apostle Paul. But some scholars note that this is precisely where the Apostle Paul began feeling the most fearful. You think about it. In the past, for Paul, when the gospel began to take root among a new group of believers, and think about these new believers in Corinth for a minute. It's a point of interest here. <clears throat> these new believers in Corinth were being saved out of a culture that worshipped a so-called sex goddess. Thousands of prostitutes would walk the streets at night um, as an act of quote-unquote worship. We think about that. This is the culture in Corinth that they somehow had tied the, the religious pursuit of being in God's presence. They, they somehow had tied that with the act of sexual addiction. And so that was like the religion of the culture. That's where these new believers in Corinth were being saved out of. Corinth was a very dark place for the gospel to take root in. Um, there's even historic documents uh, all over that portion of the world that, that talk about, and they, they use this phrase to Corinthianize, to Corinthianize 
meant to do all sorts of dark and perverse things in pursuit of the presence of a quote-unquote sex goddess. Corinth was a very dark place for the gospel to take root in. And in Paul's mind, okay, I'm certain that he could foresee as all this good stuff is going on, as, as people are being saved out of that culture, I'm certain that, that the dude had enough experience at this point that he could foresee that the enemy of the gospel would now double down in his efforts in opposition to the gospel and especially to the messenger of that gospel. So what does Paul do? I believe he sought the Lord. And the Lord showed up just as he always does. And in God's grace, he gave the messenger of the gospel a message that would continue to sustain him personally in the days ahead. Now, what were the contents of that message that I believe are at the heart of this story today? When you look at verses 9 through 10. And God simply tells the Apostle Paul that he should not be afraid, that he should continue preaching the gospel, because God was with him. Therefore, no one would be able to injure him. And that there are many in that city that would eventually belong to God. Simply put, there, there would be much fruit from Paul's faithful labor in the city of Corinth. Now, if you boil all this down, if you just kind of distill it all down, it sounds like this. That's what God's saying. Do not fear. Keep speaking the gospel. I am with you. You will not be eternally injured. There will be fruit from your ministry. I think it's this encounter with God that gave Paul the grit and the grace to continue enduring opposition, to continue loving others really well. This is the reason, if you think about it, that the story ends with Paul strengthening other new believers throughout that region. So in conclusion... I don't know where you're needing an extra dose of grit to endure some kind of opposition. I don't know where you need an extra dose of grace to keep on loving others well. But I do know that you and I need to hear the voice of God speaking to us on the regular. Let's just think back over the last few days or weeks or months. <clears throat> How often did you need to hear God telling you not to be afraid? Apparently, if you read through the scriptures, God's word to us about not fearing is all over the place. How often did you need to hear God telling you not to be afraid? How often did you need to hear God over the last few days, weeks, months? How often did you need to hear God encouraging you to keep speaking the truth of the gospel gently and winsomely to someone? Not to tap out. How often did you need to be reminded that if you have trusted in Jesus, that God is with you, will be with you wherever you go? If you think about this, this picture that God is, I think that's the core. If there's a heart within the heart, okay, that's the heart. God is with you wherever you go. You, I, I, you think about the Incredible Hulk, okay? He's my favorite superhero because he's always angry, is what he says. But the Hulk is a beast, right? Literally. If you knew that the Hulk was with you wherever you went, would you be afraid of anything? Would you ever stop in your mission? Right? Could you ever be intimidated? If you knew that the Hulk was right there with you? 
Man, that's God. That's God. God. God's the creator of the universe, right? He is the living God. He's the one who beat Satan's sin and death through a bloody cross, an instrument of torture, through an empty tomb, an image of death, right? finality, and through the promise of heaven, eternity. This is what God did. And this is the God who says, I will be with you wherever you go. How often did you need to be reminded of that? Maybe now you need to be reminded of that. I feel for me that it's encouraging just to hear it again from me. How often did you need to be reminded, too, that this life is a small breath of air in light of eternity? There's nothing that can harm you this side of heaven that's going to stick with you in eternity. You're not going to be eternally injured. Right? We find it so easy, I think, to turn the things of this life and this world into eternal things, and they're not. And it's the same when it comes to being wounded or being hurt. We become so afraid of that that our self-protective or, um, yeah, not only our self-protective mechanisms, but also our, uh, you know, our our, our self-escape, our our escape mechanisms, like those things become gods in our life. Those are what become present in our life rather than knowing that the eternal living God is present with us. We're like we, we trade his presence for those other things instead. And yet the reality is, I mean, it doesn't matter what happens to me this side of heaven. Because whatever happens to me this side of heaven isn't going to go with me into eternity. And this is just a blink of an eye. How often did you need to be reminded of that? Lastly, how often did you need to be reminded over the last few days, weeks, months, that your investment of time, talent, treasure doesn't even come close to the suffering of Jesus at the cross. And that because of that bloody cross, because of that empty tomb, because of his promise of heaven, that Jesus, the one who died, the one who left the tomb empty, the one who beat Satan, sin, and death, that he's the one who promises heaven. How often do you need to be reminded that because of those things, because of him who promises is trustworthy and faithful, that, that there will be fruit from your investment? You, you may not see the fruit from your investment now. Maybe it's for future generations to see that and experience that. But there will be fruit. You invest in God's kingdom. God's kingdom will grow. There will be a return on that investment. How often do you need to be reminded of these things? Because the heart of this message, right, the heart of the text that we study today is really God's words to the Apostle Paul. In a season where I think he needed the grit to endure and the grace to keep on loving others well, right? The heart of this message really is a message from the living God to one, the Apostle Paul, if not later now in his word, to all of his children, and at the heart of this message is simply this. Do not fear. Keep speaking the gospel. God is with you. You will not be eternally injured. And there will be fruit from your ministry. That, I believe, is where you and I find 
the grit to endure, and the grace to keep loving others well. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the heart of this text. Lord, that uh, you would remind us not to be afraid. That you would remind us to keep speaking the gospel. That you would remind us um, that you are with us through thick and through thin. And that your very spirit now indwells us. We go nowhere without you present. To be reminded that uh, there is no injury, wounding, or harm that we can in, incur this side of heaven that will affect eternity with you because eternity with you means uh, no more tears no more pain no more sickness or disease no more death no more sin but eternity with you is to be in the presence of perfection thank you for reminding us of this but thank you for reminding us father that that our investment in your kingdom is not in vain that you are the one who produces the fruit. Our job is obedience. Lord, help us. Help us to stick this message in our hearts so that we might be men and women of grit to endure and grace to love others well. Amen. Well, if you tuned in, you listened, or you watched, uh, thank you. And uh, pray that this was an encouragement and a strength to you. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Love you. Later.